Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. Thank you for being here on a holiday weekend, kicking off our Thanksgiving week. Um, I know many of you might be traveling later on in the week and just want to thank you for prioritizing being in the room uh, today. What a cool thing to have the kids leading us. Can we one more time just thank them for leading us in those reminders of God's faithfulness. And we actually have kids and uh, students kind of throughout the, the room, uh, kindergarten up all the way through seniors in high school that are normally oftentimes in our kids and student spaces. So we want to welcome you kids and students. Thanks for being in the room with us. And along with them are several kids volunteers that don't always get to be in this service because they're on the other side of the campus. I just want to say a thank you to you all, you all that are scattered throughout the service and uh, thank you for all that you do. And you know, it may be that you've been coming to Horizon West Church for a couple weeks, a couple months, or maybe even longer, and you're not yet sure what your next step is. I can tell you that one of the things that we love to do at Horizon West Church is to give the good news of the gospel to children in ways that begin to, to grow in them, to be life and to be flourishing and to become the men and women that God has called them to be. So if you're looking for a spot and you have even the slightest inkling that kids might be a place you could serve, we would love to talk with you. And so after the service, we've got a few of our team members who are in the lobby wearing pink kids shirts and they're easy to spot. And uh, they'd love to just have a conversation with you. Uh, maybe it's you and your spouse, you and your roommate, whoever it might be. Uh, you ask them about serving in the kids area and they're going to tell you it's the coolest thing in the world. All right. Hey, um, Austin mentioned this, but I just want to say again, if you're looking for a place to serve on Thanksgiving morning, my family is going to be doing Meals on Wheels, and so uh, sometime after the Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade kind of gets about an hour in, we're going to drive over to the John Young campus, get our meals, and we've gotten a route that's out here in West Orlando. So if you want to do that, visit the website, text that, uh, that route to 40777 uh, as another way, as Austin shared with you before. But we just want to invite you. This one of the many ways that we want to be for Horizon West is to provide a Thanksgiving meal to those who otherwise would not receive it. Last commercial before I dive in here. Uh, next Sunday is going to be a fun Sunday because our senior pastor, David Youth, pastor of First Orlando, will be here and will be bringing the message next week. And so many of you know and love David. He would love to see you here. If you've not yet had the chance to meet him or to sit under his preaching, uh, I've been doing it for almost 13 years, and I know you're going to be blessed by all of that. Today, what we're going to do for the next 25 or 30 minutes um, is seek to answer a very simple question. I'm titling the message, why Thanksgiving? And I'm not seeking to answer the historical reasons why our nation observes a holiday called Thanksgiving. Rather, I want to answer the question, why is it right for Christians especially to give thanks? And to do that not on just one day of the year that we call Thanksgiving, but to do that all day, every day, throughout our life, regardless of circumstances. So I'm going to give you five reasons for Christians to be people of thanksgiving. We sing a song, or we've begun to sing a song here at Horizon West Church. It's called Praise You Anywhere. The idea is, no matter how hard the year has been, and many of you have gone through hard things this year, I do want to acknowledge that. If we were to set a microphone on the floor and say, hey, come and tell us about how hard this year has been. Tell us about the difficult things you've faced. We could be here until 
probably about January 3rd. That, that's how hard the year has been for some of us. And yet, it is always right to give thanks. So five reasons. I want to move through these fairly quickly. Number one, we give thanks because God is good. On your worst day, you are loved by a God who perfectly cares for you personally and individually. God is good, not only generally, but God is good to you. By the way, this is true, the goodness of God is true for every human being who has ever lived in any part of the world, in any time in history, regardless of their behavior, their lifestyle, or even the things that they believe, God is good and shows himself good to all people. And so Jesus, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, says it this way, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on both the just and on the unjust. Meaning even those who reject God receive the benefits of God's goodness every single day of their lives. Now if you or I were God, we would not let the sun shine on the unjust. We'd be like, that guy doesn't get sunshine because last night this or that happened. Or I'll send rain when she apologizes, like we wouldn't be good the way that God is good. But God manifests himself good to all people. And one of the primary ways he does this, according to Jesus and throughout scripture, is through nature, it's through creation. Someone's going to say, but that's just natural phenomena. Like those things happen all the time. The sun shines every day or it rains every day or every time I go to get a breath, there's oxygen in my lungs. That's just a natural occurrence to which I would say that's all the more evidence of God's goodness, not less. The fact that I take these miracles for granted is a sign that God's goodness is so ingratiated into my life that I often don't even recognize it. Pastor David says it this way, if the stars only came out once a year, cars would line up for miles to get the best possible view. We, we walk outside and, and some of us live in, in, you know, Umatilla or something where you really can see the stars, but, but regardless, when you walk out and you see the stars shining, it's like, man, that's an incredible gift of God. I would actually say that Genesis chapter one, where God is creating the universe, yes, he's demonstrating his power, You've got to be a pretty powerful God to, to speak and create planets and stars and mountains and valleys. It, it definitely demonstrates God's power. And I would say, yes, it also demonstrates his creativity. In our Western mentality, we think efficiency, right? Like, if I created a being, if I had that power even to create a being, I, I would get that prototype and then I would just knock out like a million of those widgets, right? Like, that's the prototype. And yet God has this infinite creativity to go from moving, uh, from, from creating a, a hummingbird to turning around and creating a rhinoceros and then a giraffe. It's like their whole system is different. The way their body works, the way they draw breath, fish in the sea, birds in the air. God's power is seen in creation. God's creativity is seen in creation. But let me show you something you may not have seen on the first page of the Bible. Even more than all of that, we see God's goodness through his creation. Genesis chapter 1 verses 29 and 31 say, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. 
So more than just creating a universe, God was hand-making a gift for humanity to enjoy. He says, what I have made is very, very good, and oh, hang on a second, man and woman, I'm giving it to you for your good. Nature resounds with the goodness of God. Let me say again, on your worst day, you are loved by a God who is perfectly good and who personally cares for you. Secondly, we give thanks because it benefits our soul to do so. I came across a a study, um, an article rather, this week. It was published by the University of New England, Australia. And they did a meta-analysis of over 26,000 children, teenagers, and adults And the finding was not terribly surprising. They found that higher levels of gratitude were associated with lower levels of depression. The opposite was also true. Higher levels of depression were associated with lower levels of gratitude or of thankfulness. Now, what that reveals is not, and I'm not making the argument, that being thankful is the silver bullet, the cure-all for an issue like depression. What I am going to say is if you are ungrateful, you're not even giving yourself a chance to overcome. Gratitude benefits the soul. It it reorients, reorients our perspective toward truth and toward the goodness of God. The word psychology, you may or may not know, comes from two two Greek words. The first is suke, which means soul, and the other is the part that we get logic from. So psychology is essentially study of the soul, or we might say it this way, psychology is to make sense of the soul. That's why sometimes we might go see a a counselor, a therapist, we say, hey, help me make sense of what I'm experiencing and feeling. At At a broader level, that is what psychology is doing. It's helping us understand what we're experiencing in our mind and in our soul. And what psychology is telling us is that humanity is hardwired to be thankful. That when we are not thankful, our actual being, and sometimes even our very health, suffers. I was recently speaking with a close friend who identifies himself as an atheist, and we were talking about the merits for Christianity, or in his case, the reasons he doesn't believe. I said, look, this isn't the answer, this isn't the only evidence But I find it very interesting, when as a Christian, when as a believer, I go outside and I see the sunrise, what happens internally, what happens in my soul is not just, oh good, I get one more day, I'm so lucky, but rather something happens at a deeper level in my soul. And when the sun is rising and it's painting the sky beautiful colors and maybe I've got a cup of coffee on the back porch and I see that in my soul, I go, wow, God, you are so good. And it is the goodness of God behind the goodness of my experience that causes my soul to flourish. By the way, this is also what happened when I met Nikki and was falling in love with her and remarkably she with me. I not only was like, wow, this is a beautiful woman and we're getting to begin to date and have that experience, but I saw her as God's gift to me. I saw her as an answer to prayer. I saw behind what was good, a good God who had blessed me in that way. The same thing happened with all three of my children. The same thing has been happening here at Horizon West Church. When I leave on a Sunday physically exhausted, but spiritually excited, and I go, man, it's not just good fortune or good luck that God put all of these people into our lives and into this community to make a kingdom impact. 
but rather that there's a good God who's orchestrating all of that. I said, look, it's, it's the, the awareness of God's presence and activity that causes my soul to erupt in worship and praise. So in other words, human thriving is not the result of good things happening to us. Good things happen to people all over the world who are miserable. Human thriving is the result of seeing in all things the presence and action of a God who is good, regardless of circumstances. That's why even in tough times, I don't despair because I know there's a good God who is overseeing my life, whose providence has gone before me, who I can trust with all things that happen. This is the essence of faith. And so in other words, thanksgiving is a manifestation of faith. We give thanks because we believe a God is good and watching over us. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 verse 6 said, Without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So when we give thanks or we give praise or we might even use the word worship, when we give worship to God, what's happening is God is glorified and at the same time my soul begins to thrive because I'm doing that for which I was created. The way that John Piper articulates this is to say, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to repeat that because uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God did not create human beings to just robotically do all the things that he has told us to do, but that in glorifying God, we find great satisfaction in it. We, We get to a point where it's I go to church not because I'm obligated to do so, But I go to church because when I gather with other Christians and when we worship God together, there's something that happens at the soul level that is good and that is right and that is healthy. So we can be satisfied in God even when we are unsatisfied in our circumstances. Another way to say this is life doesn't have to be perfect for us to see God's goodness and give him thanks for it. Let me move to the third reason we give thanks. We give thanks because scripture commands it. Now, I will reveal my hand here. I'm not a big fan of because the Bible said so kind of teaching. Um, It's kind of like the parent that says, just do it because I said so. And if that's the only reason that you have in the world, then it's going to maybe perhaps fall short. We're going to go, but I need to know why in some cases. But I would say this, even if that was the only reason, might we have enough faith in the God who gave us scripture to say, God, I don't understand the reasons. Or I don't feel like giving thanks, but your word commands it, and therefore I will do it and I will trust you with the outcome. The Bible is is filled with the stories of men and women who experienced really, really hard things and yet gave thanks to God in the midst of those hard things. Someone's going to say, if gratitude is an emotion, isn't it dishonest or disingenuine for me to give thanks when I don't feel thankful? To which I would answer, the Bible never tells us to control something that we can't control. So if the Bible is telling me to be thankful, then it must be something deeper than my emotions. I don't know about you, but my emotions are kind of like this. When things are good, I feel good. When things are bad, I feel bad. And yet scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances. Let me show you a few of the circumstances that writers of scripture gave thanks in. Psalm 103 verse 2 The psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. 
This was written by a man whose own family despised him and who on two occasions had attempts on his life made by a deranged king. And he said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This, this was written from a prison cell. Job 1.21, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Many of you would know the story of Job. He said these words immediately after hearing that all of his children and all of his possessions had been destroyed. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. You or I may not be able to perfectly command our emotions. It's like holding a, a wet bar of soap. It's just hard to hang on to, right? It's hard to stay in the same place emotionally. But what we can do is we can command our voice to sing. We can command our hands to raise. We can command our feet to dance. You don't want to see me do that, but I could dance up here because I have control over my body. And in culture, the, 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 the going phrase is, follow your heart. And I want to tell you, no. Lead your heart. Tell your heart what you're going to do. Let the scripture impact you in such a way that no matter what you feel, you choose to worship and let your heart catch up to that. Pastor Eugene Peterson said, worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. So in other words, it's an act that creates the feeling. He says, when we obey the command to praise God in worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Translation, our soul benefits from giving thanks. Reason number four, and this one differentiates the Christian from all others who could give thanks for those reasons as well, but for Christians, we give thanks because Jesus has saved us. Can we pause for just a second and recognize how remarkable that statement is? The, the, the perfect holy God of the universe chose to send his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross so that your sins would be forgiven and your life reconciled to God. Now, if, if all that God did for us was give us a few decades of oxygen and life and a few people to walk the journey with, there would be reason to give thanks. But for us who know Jesus, the reasons are so much more than that. The, the, the greatest reason that you have to give thanks, no matter what your temporal circumstances are, is that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus. Last week, I was in the apartment of, of a young couple, 32 years old. I was able to do their wedding three years ago. And the week before their one-year anniversary, this young woman, who was, I believe, 29 or 30 at the time, was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And we prayed and we anointed with oil and she had been doing well and her husband reached out recently and said, hey, we need prayer again. Something's come back up and the doctors are talking with us. And so I was in their apartment last week. I anointed, I prayed, and I prayed for healing because I believe God is able to heal and because we've seen him heal here at Horizon West Church. But here's the reality. I can't guarantee her the outcome. I'm not God. I've prayed and I've seen God step in and do the miraculous. I've prayed and I've seen God say, not at this time. I can't promise her what's coming in this temporal life, but what I can say to her is that by faith, you don't have to fear because we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't break down in it. Our hope, in other words, is not 
in what is God doing for me in this very moment, our greatest hope is the fact that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we don't have to fear death. Our eternity is secure in him. And that's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 19 said, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Uh, Paul said that, I believe, because his life was not good. Paul's facing shipwrecks and, and beatings and being stoned and imprisoned and ridiculed and mocked and, and his own people rejected him and he lived far from home. He experienced hunger and pain and cold and yet Paul wasn't looking at what God is doing for him in this moment alone. Paul's hope was in the gospel of Jesus and he said, listen, if that isn't true, then what are we doing <laughs> Horizon West Church, if that's not true, if we don't believe that a man named Jesus walked out of his own tomb and, and gives us eternal life, why are we doing this? It's because we believe that he has saved us. And so what we do on Sundays, this Sunday in particular, but really every Sunday, is we gather to give thanks to God. We do that in our singing. We, we sing songs of gratefulness. God, we, we give you gratitude. I thank God. We do that every Sunday. Every Sunday we look at scripture and we remind ourselves that just as God was good to those people in the past, he is and will be good to us. And when we take communion, another name for that is Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. When we take the bread and we drink the cup that represent the body and blood of Jesus, we're simply saying thank you, Jesus, for salvation. And so that's what we do. That, that's why churches exist, to give thanks to God and then to do this. Reason number five that we give thanks. We give thanks because the world is watching. One of the things that I've seen usually happen when somebody gives their life to Jesus, when they first experience salvation, is they immediately want other people to experience it. Now, don't stick your hand way up in the air, but would you just kind of nod to me if that was your experience? When you came to know Jesus, go, man, I wanted other people to have that same experience. That was what happened for me. 15 years old, I started following Jesus, and all of a sudden it's like there's a reason to be alive, and there's joy, and there's hope, and things weren't perfect, but I wanted other people to experience that. And so in the first century, when Jesus had given the Holy Spirit to the church, that is the reason that the gospel spread out all over the world. That wasn't a, a top-down mandate. Nearly as much as it was men and women and young people, they were coming to faith and they were, by word of mouth, telling other people about Jesus. So that was first century. By the second century, a specific form of what we call evangelism or sharing faith developed that we call apologetics. Uh, what apologetics means is a Greek word. It means from logic. So we're arguing for our faith from a point of reason or logic. And th this, this developed in the second century. It continues into the 21st. You would know some names of men who were well-known apologists. Men like C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, Ravi Zacharias. Apologetics is necessary to be able to defend the evidence for our faith. But this is what I want you to know. While all of us should have some reasonable explanation for why we believe. Like, none of us should just believe because the pastor said so. Or, well, I'm a Christian because my parents, no, no, no. We all need to know the reason for our faith. But more than being able to defend it with our words in, a, in an academic way, 
what we need more is people who live a witness before an unbelieving world. Eugene Peterson again said this, the proper work for a Christian is not apology, but witness. And while some of you may be called to to go into the academic field to to study deeply the evidence for the gospel, uh, things like the case for Christ, case for faith, that is important and necessary, but all of us, men, women, and children, are called to live a gospel witness before a watching world. And here's been my experience. The first evidence that an, an unbelieving person is willing to examine is your life. It's the first evidence. If your life looks no different than theirs, if you're not a person of gratitude or, or worship, if you're sour, discouraged all the time, complaining, gossiping, arguing, they say, I don't need to know anything else. And what often begins to bring somebody to faith in Christ is not a hard look at the evidence, but it's a hard look at you and at me. I've tried to live in such a way, and I know many of you have, that, that even if somebody else looks at my life and they don't believe what I believe, I want them to know that I believe it. Because it's hard to argue. You go, man, that person's not crazy or usually not crazy. They're somewhat intelligent. They seem like a good husband, a good father. They seem like a good wife or mother, a member of the community. That, and they actually believe that this guy Jesus is the son of God, that he's the savior of the world. They may not yet believe it, but if I live in such a way they know I believe it, it becomes an evidence for the message that we proclaim. Let me ask you this question to reflect on. If the unbelieving people in your life were to list the characteristics they see in your life, where would thankfulness rank on that list? So if you, if you had some of the people that know you, maybe not intimately, but know you fairly well, what are the five things you see in me? Would gratitude show up at all? Because I believe one of the most compelling evidences, so to speak, for the gospel is a people who live with gratitude. If God has forgiven our sins and we're not grateful, what does that say about what we believe? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. I hope you see in that both of these ideas. There's this apologetic Be ready to make a defense. Be ready to share why you believe what you believe. But he also says this to anyone who asks of you. Why are they asking? They're asking because they see something different in us. They're asking because they want the kind of life that we have. And gratitude, I believe, is a fundamental part of that. I want to close with a story that I heard several years ago. It's a story of Mother Teresa who served in the streets of Calcutta amongst people who were dying of uncurable disease and whom the world had essentially rejected as untouchables. Mother Teresa had what my wife and I subscribe to, which is called a, a, a whole life ethic, meaning that we believe that God as the author of life is pro-life in the womb pro-life with teenagers, pro-life when it comes to issues of war, that God is always for life. And this was Mother Teresa's view. And as she was invited to a presidential prayer breakfast during the Clinton administration, her prayer went for about five minutes and it mostly centered around life in the womb as she articulated a whole life ethic. President Clinton, who had a different view than hers, was the next speaker. And the way I heard it is that President Clinton immediately came to the microphone and said these words, 
it is hard to argue with a life so well lived. What, what if the people that knew us, with all the questions they have about the gospel, with all the uncertainties they have about the Bible, what if they looked at our life and said, but I don't know any other explanation for the joy, for the hope, for the thanksgiving that is in him or that is in her. When we experience the same loss and grief and trials and brokenness, and yet our house doesn't crumble in the sand but stands on the rock, what we're saying to a watching world is there is a good God who sent his son Jesus to save us and who is always worthy of our thanks and of our worship. This Thursday, we're all, I believe, going to enjoy good time with family, probably some football, hopefully some turkey, I want you to enjoy all of that, but I want you to know more than that. We don't give thanks because it's an American holiday and we're told to do it. As believers in Jesus, we give thanks every day of our lives to a God who's worthy of our thanksgiving. And so we're going to sing a song. Austin's going to come and close the service, but I'm going to ask you to stand. This is a, a fun, upbeat song. We sang it earlier called I Thank God. I want you to stand, and if you believe this. If you believe God is worthy of thanks and praise, would you sing this song out as we sing together, I Thank God. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.